CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is sponsored by Zengo. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on the hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there. Happy Monday. Happy October. You are watching the hash here on Coindesk TV. I am Zach Seward. That's Wendy O. Will Foxley down there in front of a brick wall. Definitely not looking like he's in a hostage situation. And Jensen (laughs) Asti. Now... Everyone on crypto Twitter is talking about Kim Kardashian. Jen, why is that? All right. Well, everyone from TMZ to the Wall Street Journal is talking about Kim Kardashian this morning. And it's because she settled with the SEC for promoting Ethereum Max to the tune of $1.26 million. As part of the settlement, she has agreed not to promote any cryptocurrency for three years. And I think it's important to note that she did not admit or deny the allegation she has simply settled with the SEC for touting Ethereum Max. Will, I'm going to pass it down to you. I was going to do it anyways, but you put your hand up. So what do you got? Yeah, I got those hot Kardashian takes. Don't you worry. I got you this morning. Ethereum Max, <laughs> you guys remember this one popping around when it did pop up? Like There was not only Kim Kardashian, but Floyd Mayweather, I think, was in on this. A few other celebrities. Pretty hilarious to see it come back. Bite you in the ass, no pun intended there. They only made $250,000 off of this, right? And yet they're fined for like $1.3 million. So not a very good return there. I also like to note that three years, right? Three years, they can't promote anything. Well, guess what happens every three years? A nice Bitcoin pump and bull market. So she'll be back. We're all going to wait for the next pump and dump scheme from Kim K. I'm excited for it. Zach, throw it over to you. I don't have any spicy takes. I don't know what to say. Ethereum Max is, I don't know, pretty pretty lame coin out there. And uh, yeah, for the long arm of the law, Earl Gary to come down and, you know, do this thing. I don't know if it was entirely unexpected, but hey, it happened. I'm going to toss it to Jen. She probably has a good take, actually. <laughs> I don't know if it's a great take. But I think, you know, the SEC, right? We talk so much about the SEC and the CFTC fighting over who's going to oversee the industry. And I really do think the SEC going after Kim Kardashian in this way is a way to get into the headlines, is a way to show that they are doing something. I think it's really interesting that I don't, I don't know, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that the SEC has gone after the issuer of Ethereum Max. I don't think Ethereum Max has been deemed a security 
But the SEC has gone after Kim Kardashian. And like I said, every media outlet, no matter what their beat is, is reporting on this this morning. Zach, before I toss it to you, I want to take a look at this clip. So the SEC released their own media, uh, a little office hours with Gary Gensler this morning as the news was breaking. We might enjoy watching a celebrity playing on a basketball court, starring in a reality TV show or a movie, or performing to a large crowd at a stadium show. We shouldn't confuse those skills, though, with the very different skills needed to offer appropriate investment advice. So, before investing, please do your research. Thank you. She's a renaissance woman. He just downplayed her investment skills. Yeah, man. That's like, you know, stick to basketball. I don't know. That's some cringe content there. That's all I got to say. All right. I think the thing that does stand out is the SEC is going about its merry way, stating that things are securities. We saw this in the Coinbase insider trading action. We're seeing it now with this action against Kim Kardashian. They're laying out their rationale for why these digital assets look like securities. Uh, and they're doing so to justify the actions that they're taking, right? So this stuff will have to get hashed out in court, but it continues this sort of recent trend of seeing the SEC state allege claim that things that are securities-like should be regulated by the U.S. securities regulator. And they do it in these enforcement actions against whether it's a Coinbase inside trading allegation or a Kim Kardashian undisclosed touting of said asset. So it is interesting that they continue to take that tack rather than sort of duking it out in court and getting this thing established as, as law. But maybe this is sort of the precedent setting that ultimately gets them there. I don't know. I'm no lawyer. I'm not even a half lawyer like Jensen Assey on this show. So I don't really know what they're doing with that. But they are going out there and saying, hey, this looks like a security for these reasons. And we're taking action. But I'm going to toss it to Wendy. So I think the end, like people are looking at the big headline and that it's Kim Kardashian, which fine. And I want to see healthy regulation or healthy relationship between regulators, retail, and the entire ecosystem when it comes to crypto, even traditional finance. And I think the underlying thing that a lot of people are missing is because most people just read the headlines. They don't look at the actual statements. They don't take a deeper dive. This is actually kind of a scary thing. And the reason why it's scary, and I'm not here to debate whether Kib did anything wrong or not, because when you settle for something, you're not admitting that you did anything wrong or not. What you're doing is, is it's actually playing it smart is because you're saving it money because a lot of times when this stuff does go to court, it takes time, it takes resources. And when it comes to the SEC, who's paying for it? Taxpayers are paying it. So we have that there. But the underlying message here is that the SEC can come in and call anything they want to a security. And that's probably a little bit scary and dangerous. And I don't know exactly how this is going to go or this is true legally, but the first thing my mind thinks is, okay, well, she accepted compensation to talk about something. What happens if you're mining something or you're staking something, you're earning that DeFi yield and you talk about something on social media, you don't necessarily have to be an influencer, but what happens if the SEC says, oh, well, you're talking about an unregistered security and you're just an average retail person, we're going to smack you with a fine. So that does make me a little bit nervous. And I think people should really take a step back and look at the actual, like what's actually happening legally instead of just looking at the big headline. And again, not here to debate whether she did right or wrong. I'm more concerned with the regulation that's going to be put into place in the long run. Yeah, just to keep riffing on what you're talking about there, I think you bring up some important points. The fine was five times greater than the profit made from the investment or from the uh, touting the investment. $250,000 was the payment. So that's a huge amount of money. It's a, a large fine. And then on top of that, right, like 
where is Ethereum Max people involved with this? Is Ethereum Max a security? Or are they just saying that's a security because they're going to find Kim K and going to find a bunch of other celebrities? There doesn't seem to be any indictment of those people involved with Ethereum Max. We know that a lot of these tokens are probably securities, but the fact they don't go after the people who are issuing them, but only the people who are raising them and raising awareness of them, I think speaks a little bit to the SEC's strategy. They want to go after the net. They don't really want to go after the one throwing the net out there. An odd strategy, I think they're doing it probably because it's really hard to track down everyone who's issuing a token, right? It's very easy to launch one. It's very easy to conceal yourself. Hard to track these people down. Not as hard to get in touch with Kim K. You know, it's a little bit easier to do that sort of thing. Jen, I'll throw it over to you. Yeah, just final thoughts here. I think an, another kind of precedent-setting piece of this case is they're saying that Kim should have revealed that she was paid $250,000. So that original post did use the hashtag ad and she did use that kind of statement we see across the industry, this isn't financial advice, and that wasn't good enough for the SEC in this case. So Wendy, to your point, I think this is a little scary. I don't think I've seen influencers and celebrities disclose how much they're getting paid in the past. And so if that's a precedent that we're setting now moving forward for anyone who's talking about something that is a security or that is maybe a security or is not a security, I think is going to be interesting to see how the SEC looks at this and how the advertising standards boards look at this, because this is something we haven't seen before. But Zach, off to you. All right, we'll change gears. Let's go to Celsius, the bankrupt crypto lending firm, Celsius. According to a report in the Financial Times, CEO Alex Mashinsky pulled out $10 million right before things hit the fan. Now, this is according to people familiar with the matter. I don't know who they spoke to, but some of the uh, some of the skeletons are coming out of the closet and people are happy to report those at this point in time. So yeah, this one continues the saga of Celsius. Uh, it's that black box. It's that thing that we don't really know what was going on in there and it's not necessarily on chain. I think it's worth noting that you know this isn't a report that's based on on-chain sleuthing. This is just according to sources. So take it with a grain of salt. But uh, it does sort of speak again to the opacity of some of these crypto lending firms. I'm going to toss this down to Will for his initial thoughts on this Mashinsky news. We threw out the black box last week. It's an onion, right? It's a smelly old onion. Now we have another whiff from right. this thing that we put back in the fridge. <laughs> it only gets worse. $10 million before they close the exchange, right? And this is the same person who continued to say that they were for the community, that they were going to help the community out, that they were going to figure out what was best for the community. Well, ends up, no, that's just narcissism. He wanted to get his money out beforehand. Also interesting note that this money, the $10 million that was pulled out, is reportedly used to pay taxes, right? So at the very least, keep Uncle Sam happy, keep yourself out of jail. If you didn't have that money, you wouldn't be able to pay those taxes, and then you'd be in even worse position than before. But this is just right on course for what Mashinsky has done, or revealing his character. Uh, throughout the summer, we've seen so many different instances of them trying to be even more vile, I would say, than they have been in the past, like more information coming out about their plans with Celsius, more information about how they're running the exchange, that they've been bankrupt for some time, and they need to go into Chapter 11 quite a while ago, but refuse to do it. Uh, it's just more information on top of what we already knew. Honestly, it shouldn't be shocking at this point. Wendy, I want to throw it up to you and get your take. Well, there's a lot of problematic behavior in this story, and it's a really terrible story. It just I feel like it just keeps getting worse and worse for Celsius. At least Voyager, there was some sort of closure. But with Celsius, it's like more and more keeps coming out. However, I will say, yay, he paid his taxes. 
But at the same time, I feel like the way that <laughs> laws are written and designed, they make it just so hard to do anything because I feel like, like, obviously, like he withdrew those funds. He lied. He said that there were, that Celsius was solvent when in fact they weren't. So yes, that was bad, illegal, terrible. But then now they're talking about using that money to pay taxes. So it's like, where do you place the blame? Like, I don't even know. It's just a terrible story. I hope that they are able to successfully reorganize and everybody is made whole, including myself. I want to do a really quick timeline if we can, just to contextualize things. Jen, I'll throw it over to you right after that. But we know from internal documents that were revealed during Chapter 11 that Celsius was bankrupt or did not have funds necessary to complete obligations as far back as 2021, the summer of 2021, right? And even further back, there's details that their finances were not in a good state. And then going into May, we had Bitcoin drop, went down quite a lot. That was beginning of the bear market, right? And so I think maybe you could say, oh, he's just selling out whatever Celsius tokens he has. Kind of think of it as equity. He's just cashing out. He's being smart. But at the same time, he had to know the internal state of Celsius at that moment and had to know that they did not have the funds necessary to pay out all the investors' loans that were on the books. And so he was basically just cashing out against everybody else. At the same time, they put out a report a little bit later when they started freezing accounts, saying that they froze accounts with the purpose of making sure that not everyone who was quick at the trigger would get their funds back. They wanted to do an orderly and fair process through Chapter 11. But he skipped the queue, right? He jumped ahead of it by a few weeks. I think that is like the that's the worst part of all of this, that he jumped ahead of everybody else when nobody else had money because of his own decisions. Uh, Jen, I'm going to throw it over to you for your take, though. Sorry, uh, control, uh, control has uh, intervened. That qualifies as a history corner. Let's see it. Let's see it. Oh, no. And now, Will's history <laughs> with Will Foxley. That is the retroactive Will's history corner. That was a retroactive (laughs) deployment of the history corner away. All right, uh, Jen, take it away. That was my favorite part of the show. Now I don't even remember what I was going to say. It's funny when when Mashinsky stepped down from his CEO role, he said that it was because he was becoming more and more of a distraction to the bankruptcy filings. It's funny to see that he continues to be a distraction as we found out more and more information as to what was going on behind the scenes. I know Celsius uh, recently requested the bankruptcy court to be able to sell stable coins so that they could start to kind of settle things and continue operations. And that was rejected because of the opaqueness of the financials of Celsius. And so I think it is just a mess. And I think that we're going to continue to see Mashinsky be a distraction to the bankruptcy filings because he was at the head of this company for so long. And it looks like that rotting onion has been rotting for a while. So we will continue to peel those layers back and maybe get to the bottom center. Whatever's inside that onion. (laughs) Yeah. Get to that part of the onion and we'll know what happened. (laughs) No blooming onions, guys. Wow, that's a throwback. Haven't been out back in a while, but that is a good one. Thank you, Wendy. Zengo Crypto Wallet is an on-chain crypto wallet with no private key vulnerability, leveraging advanced cryptography called MPC, which until now has only been available to multi-billion dollar institutions. Zengo is the most secure Web3 wallet and the best place to keep your digital currency, NFTs, and assets secure. It's also fully recoverable using the wallet's biometric recovery kit. Get started at zengo.com slash hash and use code hash to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. 
Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Coindesk's Women Who Web 3 podcast, your weekly podcast celebrating women supporting women, investing in women, and bridging the gender gap in wealth through Web 3. Each week, we'll be learning from powerful women sharing their insights on topics like creating belonging and inclusivity in the digital spaces, the metaverse, building prosperous Web3 projects, investing in cryptocurrencies and building wealth. And we have how-tos from founders and builders who have been there and done that, healing sessions to give you the power to overcome imposter syndrome and everything you need to level up in your crypto journey. At the end of each podcast, stick around for some Zen with a relaxing meditation to center you after absorbing all the stories and the knowledge. I'm your host, Cams, and I'm on a mission to empower women across the globe to unlock the unlimited potential and earning power inside themselves through Web3. Whether you're just crypto curious or a crypto connoisseur, this podcast is for you. Let's get it. Now we're going to talk about yeah. Coinbase going down because if Coinbase didn't go down, are we really like in crypto? Because Coinbase <laughs> goes down all the time. Anyways, Coinbase apparently fixes some technical problems that had temporarily halted payments and withdrawals from US banks. And this actually occurred on a Sunday, which I thought was super, super bizarre. I don't know if you guys know, but anytime you're trying to withdraw funds, even from a cryptocurrency exchange, um, if it's fiat cash, you do have to kind of abide by the general banking rules and their business hours because the cryptocurrency exchanges are working with them. But anyways, apparently it was down for about six hours and then the devs and everybody was able to get it back up functioning. And it was a problem with the ACH system. I actually want to toss this over to Zach and give us your thoughts about Coinbase being down yet again. I mean, hey, it happens. It happens. No big deal. Got it fixed. I don't know. I'm not here to FUD Coinbase. I take them at their word and it just was a bug and they fixed it. They were snowed under. I guess that's what that photo choice was meant to represent. And it's been resolved. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's exchanges for you. Am I right or am I right? Will, I don't know. What do you think? Kind of with you on this one. It, seemed, it got blown up big over Twitter. So it makes sense. It turned into a few headlines on a few different sources. Uh, I don't think a lot of people have patience for Coinbase at this point, just based on the history of the exchange going down. But this one seemed to be an ACH thing, which means it could go anywhere up the banking stack, right? So you have banks and you have Federal Reserve, and then go the other way. You have like smaller banks, you have user accounts, then you have the crypto accounts, and you have to translate the two things. And yeah, there's probably going to be a bug somewhere in there. And I'd rather it happen on a very sleepy Sunday afternoon and on a very important Friday or a very important Fed meeting day, something like that. And we haven't had that in a while. So no, I can't FUD Coinbase either. To me, this is just business as usual. It happens. It even happens with the big banks, right? You know, there's, there's infamous stories of big banks losing millions of dollars because they went offline for a little bit and they had problems. So this stuff happens in traditional finance as well. It just doesn't happen in cryptocurrencies. We just talk about it because we're always on Twitter.com. Jen, I'll throw it over to you. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I mean, my bank goes offline not time and time again, and we don't make uh, a big deal about it. I think this is an important reminder, though, right? You know, we just spoke about Celsius. I think you see an exchange go down, and maybe if, if you're new to the space, your heart skips a beat because you think my assets might be frozen. I think this just kind of speaks to the fact that we imagine this world with no intermediaries where we don't need banks. 
But right now, if you're using a centralized exchange, we do need the banks and we need the platforms and everything to work together. And that is a lot. And we're still early days. And so we can expect things like this to happen. So I too am not going to blame Coinbase or come down on them. I think it happens and we can expect it. And we'll, it is good that it happened on a sleepy Sunday. Wendy, I'll pass it back up to you. Just bear market things that we focus on just the headline and make a big drama out of it. But does Bitcoin <laughs> fix Coinbase going down? Mm, perhaps. There is a good argument for that. I think there's a good reminder in these stories that you can't move Bitcoin off an exchange. If you have money in your bank account, the best place you can keep it is a safe or under your mattress. But with Bitcoin, you can move it into your own hardware wallet and be your own exchange. So there is that. But let's move over to SushiSwap. Let's talk some DGEN action. This is a great story. So at the same time, we are seeing all these different companies fire or make their CEOs go and resign or lay them off or moving people off into the board. We are seeing SushiSwap go and hire a CEO. According to new reports from the Sushi community, Jared Gray has now been voted in as a CEO according, or as of Monday today. SushiSwap, of course, is a decentralized exchange birthed out of DeFi Summer, a famous battle with Uniswap, which arguably they lost. And that's why they have to go and hire a CEO. Zach, I want to throw this one over to you, get your take on it. SushiSwap, I think, is near and dear to a lot of people's hearts within crypto. And this is an interesting change in their project. Yeah, lots of drama over there, right? So this was sort of birthed in drama and they've never been really able to shake it. So their CTO left. I think the, the stand-in co-founder, I think it was Xerox Maki, he left. So they've been sort of uh, not entirely with a chief figurehead for a while, if I recall correctly. So this vote definitely closes the books on what, what was a bit of a rocky period in, in Sushi's history. This guy's going to get $500,000 in his base salary. It was, it was originally going to be $800,000, uh, but there was some controversy even surrounding that. So it just goes to show how hard it is to wrangle these decentralized beasts. Uh, even though I think if you look at the wallet that voted, it was only like, you know, like five wallets sort of determined the fate, right? Like five wallets controlled like 95% of the voting power. So it does also speak to sort of the, I don't know, sus nature of decentralized governance more, more broadly. I don't know. I think like the sushi experiment was really interesting to watch when it came and said, we're going to do a vampire attack on Uniswap. But if you look at TVL right now, it didn't ultimately work. There wasn't ultimate, there wasn't staying power. You know, I think the TVL of sushi by last check over on Define Llama was something like 500 million. That figure on Uniswap is something like 5 billion, just to put in, in context where those two projects currently stand. So I don't know, a lot of different ways we could go on this one. I'm going to toss it to Wendy, though. I, I, I bet she has some thoughts. So I remember when this went down, I think it was summer of 2020. I was at dinner and I just had happened to log on Twitter. I saw all of this insanity ensue. I was like, holy F, what is happening? I started drinking wine and I was just going through everything. I was actually able to get Sam from FTX to come on and talk about it because I feel like they sent everything. I, I remember correctly, he kind of like fixed or de-escalated the situation. And it was just a really bizarre time in crypto. Like, I just remember everybody was so upset. Everybody was so mad. There's all these craziness. And then the FUD got linked to this other crypto project and they tanked. And it just crypto and decentralization. And I still don't really necessarily like the way DAOs are structured because I feel like it still gives people with lots and lots of tokens. People got an early a lot of money to kind of 
swoop in and get to dictate what happens. But it was it was a good time. It's when we had all of those food tokens and yay for food tokens, not financial advice. <laughs> yeah, yams. We need a taco token. But before we go on a tangent one. about tacos. Well, probably. I mean, yeah, it would make sense. <laughs> I think that if we, sorry, I just really lost it there. I was really funny in taco tokens. I think if we look at decentralized governance, almost every project I've looked at when we talk about a vote like this, it's always five accounts with a shit ton of tokens that are making decisions. And so that is definitely a problem that needs to be solved. I think. When we look at SushiSwap, I remember when that story came out last year and the CTO left and they were like, it's just madness and chaos behind the scenes. I don't know if one person can fix this. I think someone coming in to, to kind of be at the helm, we, we may see more people leave the project because if it is chaotic, I don't, those chaotic people must still be there. And so there's a larger shift than just bringing a new person into the project. I do want to bring up a quote that I read this morning. It says, there is still quite a bit of inefficiency regarding automated market makers, protocol user experiences, and other areas of the industry where we should continue iterating to build richer product experiences. So that's what Gray's going to work on. I think that's super important for accessibility when we talk about these DEXs, but to have a great user experience and to attract people to the DEX, I think you need to clean up what's going on behind the scenes. And so there's going to be a lot of work cut out for him, I think. Will, do you have a last thought, Will? I saw oh, your hand go up. Well, Wendy, also what's your last thought, thought so before we wrap polite. this thing up? Who's 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 going to be? Okay, who's going to be? Okay, I'll Duke take it. it out. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> All right. Just bear market things. That this is what the story is really about. Uh, Uniswap on one hand, more dominant, but they have a lot of problems right now. There's this question about censorship resistance. They just raised a bunch of money. What are they going to do with this money? Are they going to continue to uh, be okay with OFAC censoring? And are they going to become more like a mainstream fintech app, you know, have a backend that a lot of other fintech companies use and are approved by the, like the regulators at large. And then on the other side, you have SushiSwap, which is like more or less like a backwater project now. A lot of people aren't talking about it. It's beloved in the community, but it has a lot of governance issues. They're still trying to figure their, themselves out. So I think going into bear market, we already have some nice narratives being formed where we have our winners. But our winners still have problems they got to figure out. So that's my take. Apologies to slow things down. Zach, I'll throw it to you. Close it out. Wrap us up. Bear market things. All right. Well done. Well done, everybody. That's the show for today. We had some thoughts. We said some things. Some semi-spicy takes. It was it was a Monday. It was a Monday. We'll be back tomorrow for a Tuesday. Taco Tuesday in some parts. I'm Zach. That's Wendy waving. She loves Taco Tuesday. It's Will down there. And there's Jen. Thanks for checking us out. As always, feel free to check us out on the Coindesk Podcast Network. It's the hash for your ears. We got you covered. All right, that's it for the day. We will talk to you soon, and we are hoping that you are having a great one. Bye, everybody. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.
With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.